podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Emil Heskey, and you're listening to the guys of the Coppin Frackers. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Carpe and Fracas, powered by Touchline Media Group. I'm your host, as always, Chris, and joining me this week to discuss all things we can review about Liverpool Football Club, I am joined by Mr. Mush and Peter. Gentlemen, how are you doing this evening? It's a, it's a weird one to record this because we're recording this at 10 to 9 on a Tuesday evening and we're kind of flicking between a dead rubber game that Liverpool are playing against AC Milan. It's currently 1-1. Um, so if you hear us kind of going, ooh, oh, go on, go on, get it. If you're just doing that, that's basically what it is. We're not having like aneurysms and seizures and whatnot. We're just kind of watching the game. So <laughs> it's a little interesting insight to how we are in our natural state when watching the football. But but yeah, so gentlemen, how are you doing this evening? Chris, man, it's, it's a wonderful world, man. Still, still working off the energy. It's so weird, isn't it? Because... Football is this weird thing of when you're not winning, you're in a terrible place. But winning last minute feels better than anything in the world, man. So, uh, yeah, just working off the energy. It's it, it's good that we've got a game like this, can relax, enjoy some Liverpool whilst um, not having too much on the line as well. So, yeah, a bit, I'm sure we'll get onto it, a bit annoyed that we have two men playing on either wing that I didn't want to be seeing. But, um, yeah, <laughs> good, 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 to, good to be here regardless, man. Yeah, I was thinking this earlier. It's like um, you can kind of understand it with Mo because he's just so driven um, and he's just so relentless to try, try and break every single record possible, Liverpool-related or non-Liverpool-related. The man wants these only Salah stats to kind of keep increasing. He wants you know he wants to keep that stock high. Uh, the Mane one's just really interesting because I just think it might be that we just don't have um, replacements available for, for his position. So it's it is it is dead interesting, uh, Peter. How are you doing this evening, brother? So a fantastic tweet from you earlier, by the way, about someone asking a security guy asking you for a Champions League match football. Uh, you want to talk us through a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that was just funny. Like, yeah, because obviously I, I, um, I work for BT. If um, people don't know, but like, so I was just working at an award show, just um, like just doing some of the background stuff, and then obviously I had to give something to the one of the security guys, and it was like. Brother, brother, what you work for BT? And when he said brother, brother, I was thinking, oh, there we go, <laughs> there we go. I was like, yeah, well, well, yes, I do work for BT. And he was like, oh, oh, you know, uh, I want a Champions League match ball. I, I, I like, what? He's like, yeah, a Champions League match ball. And I was like, 
okay, like I can't, I, bro, I can't get that for you, bro. Like you're gonna have to talk to the Champions League team tomorrow. Like that's that's nothing to do with me. <laughs> but yeah, strange, strange times. But yeah, Pete, I go through the exact. I go through the exact same thing. I work for an airline, right? So I work in strategy, and I have literally people messaging me saying, "Mush, my suitcase is stuck at Istanbul Airport. Can you sort this out straight away?" <laughs> this is not what I do for a living, but I wish you the best of luck with the customer service number I'm about to. Bro, yeah. I understand the struggle, my friend. But yeah, anyway, back back to Liverpool news, like and football. I, I was eating good this week, and I can't lie, like. It started off with obviously a win. Me and Mush's team, Mush actually assisted me. I scored, thank God. Come and on, the cop and link up. <laughs> exactly. And then I come back to a Chelsea loss. Oh my gosh, eating too good. And then obviously you get the <laughs> Rigi, the hey, one of the, one of the goats. Let me just say one of the goats. Rigi scoring last minute. And then there was also this Dutch midfielder in in Paris. He scored a last minute goal. Hey, I was eating too good. <laughs> too freaking good. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm just feasting right now. So, yeah. I would love to see it, man. We'd love to see it. Um, kind of going back on the whole, uh, when you work in a certain establishment and people will ask you for stuff. I was doing some stuff at Adidas a few years ago. And everyone was like, yes, brother. Could you hook me up with a pair of these trainers? Yeah, I've looked everywhere <laughs> for them. There's only chance you can. I'm like, I mean, it's one of those ones where you kind of like, don't like no, of course I can't. So you want to kind of play into it, but it's like, yeah, I'll see what I can do, man. I'll see what I can do. I never did anything about it. I just completely forgot. But it's just it's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, you come the come come the come the power, comes the responsibility and whatnot. So um, but yeah, Liverpool before we kind of get stuck into the Wolves game, um for all of your Liverpool needs this December. I'll do like a teaser trailer here this December in a world with nothing but congested Christmas fixtures. You're going to want to be subscribed to the Copper and Fracas Patreon page. And what is the Copper and Fracas Patreon page? It is a page where you'll have access to some of the best video and audio content produced on a Liverpool-focused basis on the internet. Uh, you'll hear a lot more from myself, Mush, and Peter on there as well, alongside a whole host of other cop and contributors. Uh, you'll get instant, it, it pretty much is instant, around about half an hour after the game's finished, post-match shows, you'll get preview pods, you'll get reaction specials, you'll get insightful pieces such as the Bantic show that Peter is on, you'll get deep dives about people that were linked to, deep dives about players at the club. You get You get so much. And all it costs is £3 per month. So head over to www.patreon.com forward slash copper and fracas and sign up today from just as little as £3. And the link will be in the bio for this podcast on whatever platform you are listening to us on. It was bloody cold. I went to the game, by the way. Uh, I don't think I said this. I went to the game on Saturday. It was in my hometown of Wolverhampton. Um, It was bloody freezing. It started to rain. Um, I didn't bring gloves. I left them on the side uh, 10 minutes whilst I was down the road, realised, and was kind of in that halfway house. So do I go back and get gloves? Do I not? Decide to push on. Um, but it was all worth it because the magnificent man, the beautiful fellow that he is, Mr. Divock Origi, further cements his legendary status in Liverpool folklore by popping up with yet another crucial late winner, whilst the Reds are gunning for silverware. Uh, we'll talk about more. We'll talk about the game a little bit more after this, but I want to start the focus on Divock because he really is 
and Peter, you, you'll, you'll you'll appreciate this. He's not the charismatic enigma so much. He's an enigma, but the reverse of that, the, the, the quiet enigma. That is what Divock Origi is. We don't really know that much about it, but the stuff we do know, he's quite a he's quite a, a odd fellow. If you, you know, he likes his books. He enjoys his psychology. I think he can speak about eight different languages, which is bloody impressive. But what we do know about Divock Origi is that he does deliver in these big moments. I'm sure I'll come to you first. We've seen a little bit of a rebirth of Divock Origi this season. And how big was it for this weekend for him to get that goal in such a clutch situation yet again? I, I think there's two parts to this, to be honest. You're completely right. The, the, the clutch thing, I think from a psychological point of view, I think it takes a very big and, and brave footballer, right? To when you're coming into and playing with such good players, for you to place yourself and position yourself um, to be on the end of a chance rather than watching, rather than hoping. There's a lot of players who will probably try and support the best players to try and get that big moment. But Divock will always try and be the one who takes on that responsibility. Who have done it so many times. It's a huge credit to him when you have no rhythm or anything whatsoever. Um, but I think yeah. the other point, and the other point which is probably even bigger, was he was really good when he came on. I, I think yeah. I think that's the big thing here. And and one thing that was great about Divock Origi that I spotted was um, where we have someone like Jota who penetrates behind the defensive line a lot um, or tries to get into pockets. Divock Origi pins his man, but not just pins his man, he always creates an angle for Robertson or whoever the fullback is to pass into him and we can play off him. And I think when you're trying to push against a really defensive side like Wolves, who have done, who, who you know, reaped the rewards from being that, I think yeah. I think Divock Origi is is really putting himself as as a legitimate option for completely changing how we want to play if we if we're struggling for a goal. So I don't think it's just about sentiment and he's a really good guy or a good kid. I think it's about Divock Origi offers a different dimension to Liverpool, where maybe his lack of intensity the past few years hasn't presented the opportunity to be so. I completely agree, and um, I think we kind of have. Even Saturday aside, really, we've seen a little bit of a rebirth of Divock Origi. And Peter, I'll, I'll come to you. We've seen we've seen this kind of different Divock Origi. We've seen Divock Origi that looks a little more, lot more switched on, a lot, <clears throat> a lot more active within games, a lot more involved with a purpose and a bit more driven. And especially with the January we have coming on, how much of an asset is he going to be for us going forward into this season? Yeah, I think we've seen, um, obviously, because last season, maybe the you could say the intensity was missing. Obviously, he's never been one to be like the most intense player anyway. But like, mm-hmm. it was clear, like evidently last season, there was literally no intense, like there was no pressing whatsoever. And the intensity of his game was missing. But this season, you kind of seen it come back. He looks a lot more motivated and he just looks like he's able to use his physicality again a lot more. He's playing like... The way he actually, you know, what I'm saying he should be. He's, he's, you know, what I'm saying he's a lot more powerful than most opponents that he's facing. So he's able to use that more. And I like the fact that Klopp is also using him through the central position. So he's using him up front as a nine. So this obviously gives Divock the opportunity to play as a nine, not on that left wing as we was using him for the last couple of seasons. And yeah, obviously, the thing when about him being on that left wing, which his ISO package comes out, and he's there thinking, "Oh, why are we doing this? Why, why are we doing this?" The thing is, yeah, I think. The the like kind of the ideology behind it is because he likes to drift to the left anyway when he plays up front, but it's yeah. it's kind of thing where you want him to drift there, you don't want him to start there because when you when he starts there, then he has to kind of find 
um, separation from the defender. He has to kind of beat the fullback constantly. And that's not really his game. It's okay for him to drift there, but I don't really want him starting there. And, um, so when he plays up front, you kind of see um, his physicality. He's able to use stuff like he's a really good header of the ball. He can hold it up. And one attribute that I think... It's not kind of a rebirth, but the one thing I love about Diva Karigi is his um, calmness. And you, you see it in all facets of... That's just him, isn't it? He's just a calm guy. He's a calm, laid-back guy. And I think that comes across, especially when he plays. And I love the fact that in these most pressure... Like, the most pressure situations, the most situations that, like, most people get nervous in, he just... He's, he remains calm. You know what I'm saying? That's him. He's always going to be calm, no matter what. And it shows when he's, when he's playing. So he's finishing. His finishing doesn't go, you know what I'm saying, up down up whoever he's able to stay composed you kind of you kind of want a player who doesn't care too much though right on, on a that's, that, that's like him that. though that's him yeah he that's cares. good i'm saying it's a positive yeah definitely yeah it works for both ways obviously some people might use it if some people might use it as like a motivation tool in the biggest moments like a drug ball for someone he, he turns up in the big moments whereas devok he remains calm in the big moments so it can go both ways, but yeah. So in their moments, I think you see it um, when he's like in those um, situations where he's able to finish. He's able to slow himself down. Whereas most players, when they get through on goal, when they get into moments where they think they're going to score, they'll rush themselves or they'll miss hit or they'll almost kick it. Like you rarely ever see like Origi like miss kick a ball or you know what I'm saying or slide something. Like he's always able to remain composed, left foot, right foot, and yeah. Like the only. I, I think most people like that that miss against who's it Burnley that that's what sticks against yeah. people's heads. But throughout most of Divock's career, he, he's he's been a really good finisher, and I always maintain that he's a good finisher. If we're able to get him in those positions, he'll probably finish most chances. It's just the stuff outside of his game that probably Klopp didn't like to obviously start him. But like Musha said, he's he's really starting to improve on the stuff outside of his game. And when he came on um, on Saturday, he was really good. Even before his goal, he was really good. Can I can I ask you a question, Chris? Because I don't know why I always associate you with someone who knows what's going on inside the club, even though you're as close to Liverpool <laughs> club as, as I probably am. Um, what do you think, right? It, look, not, ultimately, Divo Karigi, nothing has happened in the last 12 months for anything to need to change, right? He's just as... He's in the same position in the pecking order as he was, you know, a year ago, three years ago. What do you think happened over this summer to see such a reinvigorated Divock He could be a humbling of what clubs are in for him, in all honesty. Um, and not only what clubs are in for him, what clubs are willing to pay for him. I mean, we can all probably, we can all sit around and say that motivated Divock Origi on a, a very good football team. Let's say we put him on a Brighton, for example, probably actually about 12, 13 goals a season, something around that mark. 15 goals a season. I can put my life on it. He'll get you goals, bro. He'll get you goals. He'll get you. This is the thing. He will get you goals, but when you don't want to kick on your game to the next level and you're very comfortable in the place you are, sometimes you have to accept the reality of the situations. And I think he probably did get spooked a little bit by the fact that the teams he probably would have wanted to go to uh, if he were to, if he were to leave in the summer. Because let's be real, when he like as Peter said, when he you know missed that chance against Burnley, and it was a very very good chance. You know, he not only hit the bar, but I think that almost felt like the final nail in his Liverpool career. Um, we didn't really see him feature that much after that. So, and the expectation was that he probably would leave um, this summer, but the offers that came in probably weren't the best for him. So now he's in a position where he just needs to keep consistent. Well, real- reality check, kind of thing. Yeah, re- reality check, reality bites, and he's got to get back to being the, the, the Divock Origi we saw massive potential in kind of 
I want to say 15, 16, 16, 17 season yeah, um, when he was Christian. fantastic. That's spot on. Honest, because if you think about also all the times that he's been like up for up for kind of in the transfer window, he's always had a like a host of clubs wanting him. So like if you look back when he went on loan, he had his choice of what club to go on loan to. He thought Wolfsburg would be the best the best option. He went to Wolfsburg. Again, after the Champions League final, bare clubs were after him. He decided to sign a new contract. No, I'm gonna stay here. Boom. And also he's I think he's always fought in his head that okay, if I do want to go, I've got loads of clubs after me. Like, you know what I'm saying? I play for Liverpool. You know what I'm saying? That kind of clout of playing for Liverpool, scoring big goals, a lot of clubs are going to be after me. And obviously, because of the situation of COVID and obviously he's stuck being at a low because of that miss and stuff like that, he didn't have a lot of clubs after him. I mean, we also saw Klopp even came out in the press conference in the summer and Klopp was like, he was surprised that he didn't get many offers for Origi. So it shows again, I think that, um, yeah, he was obviously shocked and that was definitely a reality check for him to be like, whoa, like, is my stock down? <laughs> like, am I down this bad? Like, what's going on? So, yeah, so... It's, it's interesting, though, that, like, Klopp was saying after the game about, like, um, I wish I wish Divock had a manager who would be able to play him because he'd be so good to play. So, I don't know, I kind of respect Klopp for admitting that he, he intentionally doesn't choose him because there's better players, but also that there's there's a mad amount of quality there. So... It's almost like giving him a bit of a, a, a bit of a pick me up, as well as understanding that we don't need to sell him dreams or lie about the pecking order. I completely agree. I think Peter hit the nail on the head there as well. We we always see the manager come out and say that I can't believe that you know no one took a chance on Divock Origi, fantastic player, would do a job everywhere else. Um, and the fact that you know we can, the manager can see his qualities. I think it just must be a bit more frustrating for him as well, knowing that there is a gem of a player there, but maybe he just doesn't want to push himself to that next level, or he's you know, a little bit too comfortable to be at the football club. I think we've seen it as well with, you know, the, the obvious of a comparison would be kind of Jose Kiri over the years as well. Guy who got a bit too comfortable, um, moved to Leon, not really pushed on, not really done a lot. So it's it's a both a good and bad mentality to have for players at the football club because kind of like, okay, cool, you can get comfortable and you can stay. But also at the same time, you need to kind of just say to these players, look, if you don't kick on, you're going to have to leave. It's, yeah, it's, it's your, a weird what, halfway house. What's your, what, I'll ask some more questions. What's your opinion on that um, in terms of a player who's actually just kind of willing to maybe just be an impact sub or willing to kind of just play his role as like a squad player and just coming on games and cup games and some of that. Like you see with Arigi, obviously he's had many chances to leave, but he hasn't really, yeah, I'm saying, forced his move out. He's kind of been kind of willing to accept that. Um, would you say that's a lack of mentality, or would you say that he's just everyone has their role and everyone's willing to play it? Kind of thing? What's your opinion on that? Do, do you know what? That's a great question. I think, uh, I think there's, there's, there's kind of, I, I would look at it as who the player is, right? So I think it's super hard to get a player who is willing to have that role, understands that he has a role, and actually be any good. And I think we're talking about Liverpool's fifth-choice attacker, right? So Spurs, for example, can't even get a second choice who's good because they don't want a player like that. So I think having a player who accepts that and all the things that comes with it, so if, you are, if you're accepting being the fifth choice somewhere, you're probably not going to be the most motivated. So your personality profile is going to fit into that naturally anyway. But I think the only time where there should be someone who isn't happy with it is maybe someone like, for example, Harvey Elliott, who is young enough 
to understand that it's unlikely in my journey of my development that I should be starting for Liverpool Football Club, but will want to push any time you place. So you kind of get a bit of both. I think that's the only time you're going to accept someone with a hungrier mentality. Otherwise, you're just, you're just going to get those kinds of players, man. Players who, who are chilling, but you just want to make sure they've got enough quality to contribute when the time comes. It's the weirdest, the weirdest situation I can kind of compare it to is Luka Jovic kind of being behind Benzema at Real Madrid. I mean, Luka yeah. Jovic is a really good player, but obviously it'd be frustrating with him that he's not playing week in, week out. But, you know, being number two to carry Benzema isn't the worst job in world football. Obviously, Benzema's out at the moment, so he kind of has that opportunity to step up a little bit, be a facilitating player. Um, and kind of basically let Vinicius do all the work, which I guess is what they're doing, doing at the moment. So it, it kind of reminds me kind of going back to when we were we were children, mush, uh, you know, young, young adults as we were. Uh, Yari Lippmann. Yari Lippmann was always that kind of guy who would come off the bench and make a little bit of an impact. So, but he was in that obviously in that later stage of his career where he was kind of. Yeah, he was 34, up. wasn't he, when he when he joined? Yeah, he was about 34 years old. So you kind of, he kind of came in. I, I think Divox is a proper unique case because how many players between the ages of 22 to 26? Get what I mean? It's, it's a proper unique yeah. place to be. It's also a weird one as well. Sometimes you just have to kind of uh, think about it like a normal workplace as well. Sometimes you, you get people who just want to stay at the same company for 20, 30 years, which I guess kind of his, his tenure kind of reflects in footballing years, really, when you think about it. So it is, it is a very interesting case. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think we're all really hoping that Origi can kind of maintain this level and can maintain this drive and motivation for this season, kind of kick it forward as well, because God knows we'll need him uh, in moments. Uh, during the season, like we did on Saturday. So it's just good to have him around. Um, and, you know, the same goes for other members of the squad as well, because I thought Oxley chamberlain was absolutely su- superb when he came on as well. Took a lot of pressure away from, from Jota especially. And having these players where we can bring them in, you know, a Shimakas as well, some of the midfielders we have to come back. Knowing we have these players, at Canate as well, who we're seeing play tonight, who's been really good. Seeing these players we have in the squad who can come in, do very good jobs, and you don't notice the the big drop off from there. It's, it's it can be so key for us kind of achieving the aims that we have for this season. It's gonna be key for December, mate. All, all months. I mean it's as apt as ever, isn't it? There's no way players are gonna be able to play every two or three days. So I think it's a yeah. big change we're seeing compared to the previous seasons we've had because we've we've had that in one position which is centre mid, but all of them seem to be injured. We're actually seeing a bit of I don't want to jinx it, but some fitness and some competition across across the pitch in, in different positions. So, yeah, it's, it's a positive that we probably haven't seen throughout the top tenure. Completely agree. One of the key things that I saw from the match on on Saturday was that Paul Henderson not fairly early. Uh, Henson's essentially kind of playing wide midfield in the game anyway. So he kind of reverts to a 4-2-3-1, which he does in the game, having Thiago and Fabinho in that pivot. And Peter, it's a question I got for you, really. Seeing how well that those that pairing operates within that pivot and in the midfield, they cover so much ground. They do a lot of work. They both have they're both really yin and yang well together um, with the attributes they do have. Do you think that's a bit of a catalyst for the managers to kind of try out a four-two-three-one formation for some aspects of this season? You know, one of the games you possibly look at playing that is Newcastle coming up. Do you think that having that base of the midfield, do you think it gives him a little bit of free way to kind of change to that formation, which we know he does kind of like to prefer to? In some situations, 
Oh, tricky one. Um, the thing about forty-three man, it looks like it looks good on it looks good on paper, but because it's obviously a lot more attacking. You have four supposedly attacking players that you start with on a pitch, but it's just the different types of relationships and angles that it creates. Because like, it's I think so, especially on that. So I'll start, one relationship is on that left side of the pitch where you have like I don't know, like a triangle between Robertson, Thiago, Mane, whatever. And obviously that becomes like a bit different because obviously Thiago starts centrally and he's not really on the left-hand side anymore. And obviously he they become central. And it just I think it just messes up relationships a bit too much. And also I don't think that... The only, the only time I want us to play it is if Firmino's in the 10. I don't think anyone else is good enough for us to start the 43-1 as a 10. Like I don't want Chamberlain playing in the 10. I don't want Kate playing in the 10 or anything like that. It only could be Firmino that plays in the 10. I don't think yeah. it's worth changing... From a forty for from a four three three to a forty three one, yeah, I'm putting them in ten just for them kind of thing. So it would have to be, you know, what I'm saying that's for me on the ten for me for us to change to it. But would really, you, would I would to, stick to, would to put Minamino in the ten. Oh no, I don't think so. It has to be worth it. I don't think it's really worth it to change our formation just to put add Minamino into the squad. If that makes sense. Yeah. So if we start with another, the fourth player that we add has to kind of. Um, yeah, it has, to, it has to be worth it to change our system. Do you want, they have to be kind of like a special player, like Firmino, for us to change our system. I don't think it's worth it. I, I was going to add to that saying, uh, where I kind of disagree with when to use it was, Chris, you said about Newcastle. I think Newcastle is the opposite to the kind of game I'd want to use it for because because um, when I look at... Ooh, Origi. Um, when, I, uh, when I look at when to use 4-2-3-1 is... I'd say a really good place would be in the Champions League, away from home. So if you remember away at Leipzig, uh, Thiago and Fabinho actually played really well um, playing in that base. I think what you don't want is against someone like Newcastle, against Southampton, for example, Thiago, when you're playing, you're, you're going to have to try and disrupt your opposition, right? You're probably going to be sitting deep. So Thiago running into the box, some quick feet, Gordon's deflection, um, you're not going to be able to do that if you're playing in the base of a two. So I'd rather Fabinho sat and Henderson and Thiago had a lot freer roles in, in that. But Champions League away from home, I completely agree. I, I think that should be our base to build from um, for our knockout stage of our campaign. Oh, I also think that there's no harm in like have, playing with a 43 and then in possession, implementing a 43 run. Like we do that most games anyway. Like we play different formations when we're in possession. So if we obviously our position was solid when we play four three three, that's the formation normally play. But once we go um, in possession, switch to four three one. I think that, that's okay. You know what I'm saying? It's a weird one as well with the manager because sometimes he's put the he's not actually put a four two four two three one in in certain games. More of a four two four whenever he's looking at all four attackers on the pitch, which is well, if you're in midfield looking at that, you're thinking, "Fuck it, no, I've got to cover all this ground here." It's a bit of a, <laughs> of a piss take, but um, but I mean, it's one of the games where we saw kind of. Uh, Wayne Alderman Henderson do it a lot. I say a lot. We, we saw them doing it at Man City away last season, which was you know a bit of a crazy game to tr- trial it in, but it actually worked it to quite some decent effect. So I think I think it might be something he, he might look to try and do in, in January with the kind of you know obviously with the two main fellas missing. But it's one of those wait and see moments. I, I'm not a big fan of the four two three one. I think the four three three if it's your kind of solid basis to go on, Same. and obviously you see how we operate kind of without the ball and with the ball. Trends position in this season, you know, and how the mid, how that right midfielder is is he's working. In, and in for that some reason, we, we always look like 
less stable defensively when we play 4-2-3-1. And even though we have two pivots, we always yeah. seem to look better. It doesn't make sense. Like, we look much less more stable defensively. And again, I think that comes down to relationships and people, you know what I'm saying, knowing the positions better. Yeah, I completely agree. That positional awareness is, is, is so key, especially when you play with playing a, you know, a specific way, you know, nine times out of ten. That one time out of ten you're playing it, you're thinking, fucking hell, what's going on here? Ooh, Tyler guy. Morton, yeah? Oh, no, that was Nico Williams. Stick carries. You just beat three or four men. Just powered through them. Okay, Nico. Listen, he did that for Wales a few weeks back against Belgium. Oh, that was um, a bang. Um, that, no, boy, if that goal would have gone in, it would have gone off. There might be a so bit of PM, PMP there to work with. <laughs> He's good going <laughs> forward. Really, one, he's really good going forward. Yeah, it is, it is a weird one with Deco because he's got all the attributes of a really good winger. Obviously, he's playing at um, he's playing at right back. I think he was he was at a team where he plays kind of you know, free at the back, and he's got a lot more impetus, you know, on the attacker side of his game. Say Wolf, yeah. for example, um, in, yeah. in certain places, you could really see how he'd um, you know have a really good impact there. Um, speaking of Wolves, uh, I'm I'm absolutely enamoured with the Enigma again. The, the you know Enigma is going to be a, a common theme throughout this part, just just from what we saw over the weekend. Adama Traore. Is one of the oddest footballers I've ever seen play in my entire life. He's not that good, but the things he's very good at, he's world class. Very at. good at, yeah, very very good he's at. Very good at. Yes, Divock again, Divock Origi, the main man. Come on, Let's go. Come on. Oh, good finish. Mane, good a, finish. Yeah, it was, it was a mistake. Mane capitalized, but yeah, good control. No, you know what, yeah. Sorry, Milan are <laughs> shocking. Like, if you think Milan have got all to play for and we're playing a disorientated team with the likes of Morton getting his, um, you know what I'm saying, Morton playing, Nico Williams playing, Phillips having his first start of the season. Milan yeah. are top of Serie A, you know. Well, well I mean, now Phillips should look out of place. Of Listen, all I'm crazy. saying, all I'm saying is Tamori error. So I'm eating because <laughs> Jesse Hour can't, Jesse Hour can't fool me with a propaganda machine again. Now, these leagues, these Le taxes, Cobham. Julian might be off awesome <laughs> because, because these taxes, you got we got to put them higher because this is not making sense. Like they are really uh, the bad. Bund Even with our the, top team, the Bundesliga tax one, uh, when you know we were discussing a certain you know Florian Neuhaus over the weekend, <laughs> that might be, he even fooled me. He fooled me. Or oh, to be fair, I got fooled even, by Quebec. So what do I know? Kess um, <laughs> is not looking great today. I can't. I can't. I'll be honest. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's your boy. I remember Peter's Peter uh, twin. Peter's twin letting him down. Uh, you know what? I wrote an article, an article, and he was featured on it, but I wouldn't necessarily call my boy. I'd drop those stocks. And, and <laughs> I like that. That's so nasty. You know, the, 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 the silent disassociation away from the man. Was like, Bro, I, I ain't mentioned that. He's in Tottenham's guy. You know, Tottenham have met, met getting trying to mention him, getting him on free, and that. You well, know, let, say, let them isn't he available? He's available on a free, isn't he? Uh, end of the yeah. year. So he's chasing Le Bag, and if he's chasing Le Bag and putting in performances like this. Uh, Labag might be a little bit smaller than he's expecting. Pause. Because um, I know Farhill just chased me up on that one. Uh, it is why <laughs> the game is cold. Um, it is nice to see that one of the things that I'm, I'm really enjoying from these kind of Champions League exploits and I guess League league cameos, really. Um, and again, it, you know, when this man touched the pitch against Arsenal, Thomas Partey was immediately substituted. So you know he's got you know he's got something about it. Mr. Tyler Morton, I'm very impressed in. Um, 
I think he's the the first real academy product we're seeing come out who has been structured within the way that Klopp likes his teams to play. Um, mm. Trent, Trent, I think he's the very star of that conveyor belt. He, you know, he obviously he gets, he gets molded by by Gerrard and he gets very, very really really elevated quite quickly there. Uh, Curtis Jones as well, but Tyler Morton from going from the youth process all the way to the first team, we've really seen him be the first kind of person to be churned out of that system in how the way that Liverpool want to play football. And from the performances we've seen, as him playing as six, as he does normally play as an eight, very impressed. Very, very impressed. What do you guys I, think? I like go on, Walsh, go yeah, on. I th- I th- yeah, no, I, I mean, I think with Tyler Morton, and I think which is spot on, one thing that we see is he makes a lot of the same passing choices that Fabinho makes. Um, when to switch it, when to just recycle a, a really, really lovely calmness about him. I think the only thing we need to see from Tyler Morton as he develops physically as well as kind of get some experiences, does he have the, the tackling and the defensive now that Fabinho has as well to kind of become that rounded number six that we want to see? Yeah, the, the thing I like about him is that he has different traits to any of our midfielders, because a lot of my midfielders are, are quite, like, um, they've got a lot of PMP, they're quite physical, they're quite intense, like, hustle and bustle, like, win the ball. And with Morton, the way he plays six, obviously, I know he's at eight originally, but the way he plays six is that, obviously, he likes to spray balls, um, he likes to spray passes, gets on the ball, calm, composed. Like, obviously, kind of like a Rodri type of six, you know what I'm saying? That's the way he's playing for us at the moment, and I think that's kind of different to attributes that our midfielders have. So, it's nice to have some someone different. He's like kind of like a deep-line playmaker. And obviously Fabinho can do that role, but obviously, but I think um Morton, obviously he's it looks like he it looks like he's coming natural to him. So yeah, I like his attributes, definitely. Love to see it. Downside is that Flesco Madrid are beating Porto. So mm-hmm. unfortunately that evil might, might live to fight another day. Um, but yeah, hopefully Porto. Anyway, back yeah. to so that trial point that you was making, I think he, yeah, he he looks really good. I've, I've I've always kind of been a fan of his attributes, um, personally, because I just think that he's absolute juggernaut, and you can't when he when the players like that is on song, you can't really defend that. The only way you can defend that is by fouling like, him. You know like what I'm saying? Athlete. He's like the perfect athlete who's just been dropped into this sport. Like, he's insane. Um, but what what we done well is that yeah, the what we done well is that we're kind of like stopping at source. So even if he kind of beat one man. I don't know, Robertson will come and foul him or Thiago will come. Like, there was literally a 10 minutes per spell where I think Robertson got yellow cards and then Fabinho got a yellow card or something like that. Or someone, Robertson got a yellow card and got, they literally got it was like a yellow card. Tag, it was like a hot tag team match. They were all taking, yeah. you know, turns. Yeah, And we'll all take yellow cards for it. But it, obviously, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's good to defend them because, you know what I'm saying? He's not, it, we're stopping them at source and you're stopping them from, you know what I'm saying, having a, a, a good counter-attack and then possibly scoring. So I think we dealt with them quite yeah. well. It was a big, big threat. And when Wolves took him off for Trent Crow, I feel like that's when the threat completely stopped. And that's when he was able to sustain attacks better and constantly keep coming at them. So this is the oddest thing about him. He's their main he's their main threat. He's possibly their worst attacker, but he's their main threat. And he's the oddest footballer I've ever seen because he has to be defended and he has to be treated like he's an elite level talent. Just because <laughs> that's of- such a good point. No, it's because true. It's it's true. I can imagine them watching loads of videos on him and just, yeah, you know I'm saying, talking about how we can stop him and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's true. It's it's insane because he's built like he's built like a he's built like an MMA fighter. He's built like Francis Ngannou, but he's got the speed of a long, you know, of a short distance runner. 
it's it, going up against him must be an absolute fucking nightmare. Well, I, I think the big thing here, yeah, because we, we were discussing before the start of the point. We're, we're talking about a man, yeah, who plays on a pitch with other fine tuned elite athletes and he's faster and stronger stronger by multiple levels more than all of them right so he's he's literally a freak of nature like it's it's crazy because it's it's not like he's up against a load of sunday league players like he's literally up against you know how can you make Andy yeah, Robertson look look gosh, slow, imagine him in sunday league. like a random sunday league game Oh my god! It, it would literally be like you know, you know, when you play, in, you, if you ever play FIFA like amateur, and you just have to run to the goal. Like that's literally all you yeah, have to yeah, do. Yeah. But, but, but I think the big thing that Adama does well, and I think what teams probably misuse him for, is Chris. You were at the game, and one thing Adama never messes up is when he runs through the middle of the pitch in the middle third. Yeah, I think, I think in terms of like a character, similar to how we try and do this as a little version respect a little though love you um we do with ox okay. on a champion on a champions league night like yeah what i think he's amazing for if you're in the middle third and you want to get to the final third adama is fantastic what is the issue is when he needs to do anything in terms of striking the ball with some quality you're it's literally like a five percent success rate at the moment. So, so this so, is the maddest thing so this is the maddest thing about him like, like i said he has to be treated and he has to be respected like he's a world-class footballer. He can't do a final pass. His shooting is abhorrently bad, so he's got no real end threat. He's That's shooting why he's he so mad. What I've noticed about his shooting, he always goes for power, like always. Like, well, he, always he, just never, he will never It's like he it. wants to violently assault never. the ball on every <laughs> And the thing is, it's like, bro, all you need is just some coaching. Just be like the right finish. Oh, you just need to know the right finishes for the right, you know what I'm saying, the situations. But like, all you think he said, let me just smack it, smack it, smack it. But you know what I'm saying? It doesn't work out like that. But like, like what you were saying, you made a great point that he's he's got really good dribbling. Like, I think people underrated. He's not just PMP. Like, he'll literally like, really you know good saying, spin you out of your boots. Like, with his dribbling. He'll ride, no, but he'll ride challenges as well. That's the thing. In the middle third, that's really hard to do. And there could be like two centre mids chasing him. And he'll just ride two slight tackles, and suddenly the pitch is open. Now, bro, other players, easy, he always, that always, bro. It's, it's two players, and then it's about what are you gonna do? That's when, that's when it gets a bit higgy. But yeah, man, it's 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 such an interesting thing with Adama because it's almost like right now I'm saying should should he play centre mid or something like that? But he'd probably gas out doing that if he had to do the normal role of centre midfielder. Yeah, what I mean. So, nah. Yeah, and also, obviously, I think it's he's more effective in games where he's obviously playing, um, you know, what I'm saying the higher quality teams because obviously they leave space in behind. So when he's playing like the lower, lower teams, he's not as effective yeah. obviously because they they sit yeah. back, a block. Yeah, they block the spaces, all that stuff. So against us, against Chelsea, against Man City, obviously he's a lot more effective. So yeah, and that's most that... Wolves have had most of their success this season, uh, where they where they've been bringing him off the bench, so they've been playing kind of Hechan, Jimenez, and Pedent, but obviously Pedent's was getting over COVID. So, situation where they really need uh, Pedro Neto back as soon as possible, realistically. Um, Mo Salah has come off, by the way, guys. Oh, but, yeah, but the Mo Salah... Sorry, because he's put on Gomez and... (laughs) Origi just flashed it past the post. 
Oh, Devo. We're seeing the rebirth of one Divakarigi. It's um. Love to see it, man. Love. To it's see good it. to see. I have to say, from the Wolves side of things as well. Um, they were really good. I knew, I knew they were they, structurally the way they that they've really set up is fantastic. Um, they need a little bit more attacking wise, which which again, which makes the triary thing even more frustrating because if he had ten percent more capacity within himself. Um, in terms of quality, they they'd have probably four more points this season. Uh, I mean, they're, they're probably one of the more underperforming teams from an XG point of view. Um, but the, the, the best players on the day were um, were Ait Nuri and, and Max Kilman for me. I thought Max Kilman was really good. I mean, he's really adapted yeah. to kind of playing the three of the baffle walls. And and, and Ait Nuri, I think, much much you all know as well as me that last season Wolves fans were kind of all on him for being a bit naive and a bit. But Im- Im- yeah. immature, especially when how with how Nuno went set out his sides. But he's really mature as a player. I think he's got a really good. He had Salah locked up for the vast majority of the game, um, but uh, you know, it obviously took every single ounce of energy out of him because he was he was knackered. He was on his knees um, when he was about to get subbed off. I'm surprised he didn't roll off the pitch because he looked that tired. Um, but but the, again, again the, the goal itself for for Rigi from from our end was was absolutely fantastic. The ball from Virgil is is pinpoint as ever. The first touch from Salah to take that little bit of space away from the defender. His first touch was sublime again on the pass, and the space and the effort from Divock to kind of get the get away the space away for the shot was absolutely superb. We'd be remiss, but though, if we didn't talk about the birthday boy, um, hold on, but, but, hold on, just, just for that goal before you get to draw, I think yeah, I just want to talk about how intelligent Salah is because all game they were getting literally so. Obviously, tight to him. Obviously, because he's the danger man. Pause, and obviously, they want to stop him from doing anything. So they will literally just anytime he got the ball, he, he'll try and take it down as he normally does. He'll try and dribble. They'll get tight to him. Nori would close every single gap. Boom, 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 straight away. So obviously, they do make the sub with, with Hoover, but I don't think that Salah thought, okay, if they, you know what, they're getting close to me, let me try something. Let me take a big touch and let's see how they deal with it, type of thing. And you see this with Salah all the time. He changes his game based on the pawn that he's facing. So you'll see like a left back get really, really tight to him. And he's like, okay, cool. You want to get tight to me? All right, I'm just going to play one twos. I'm not going to let you get near me. You know what I'm saying? Or if he thinks that the opponent, that let's, I'll give you an example. So let's say he's facing like an Alonso. If, it's, if, he's, if, if he's playing like Marcus Alonso, he will dribble against Alonso a lot. Like you'll see him on the ball. He'll try and take on Alonso a lot because he knows that Alonso is not very good. He's not very athletic. But then if he's facing someone like, um maybe like a, like a, maybe like a, I'm trying to think who's maybe like Luke Shaw for example, or like a I was Rudiger. gonna just say Luke. I was just gonna yeah, say like Luke, Luke Shaw, Shaw or Rudiger. You'll see him yeah. pass a lot. More. You'll see a lot of interchange. He'll play into the Bobby's ball. feet yeah. a lot. You'll play into Bobby's feet, get set back some of that. So yeah, Salah's just so intelligent and he's playing at such a high level. That um, assist is just it's fantastic. It's great. Like it's great, great piece of play. Like even when he's not having his best day, you see him. He produces some moment magic like that. So yeah, big up, big up, Salah, man. Can I ask you guys a question about, I mean, Chris, you mentioned Virgil's kind of pass switch out to Salah, right? How do you yep. guys think Virgil played on Saturday? Because me personally, I was quite frustrated with how he played because I felt where Matic was. Now, we all know that Van Dijk, wow, what an amazing composure. Um, uh, I thought that where Matic kind of had intensity to whenever he was trying to make a tackle would, would crunch someone and then come back with the ball and do what he does. I felt like Virgil van Dijk was too relaxed in everything he did and it led to 
some some poor clearances or letting the ball bounce twice or he couldn't let it bounce once and things like that. What what did you guys think of his performance? I thought it was I thought I thought it was fine to be fair. I think it's just the, the emphasis of going against a team who I mean we look at it, the SG of all was was point two. So there wasn't that much to actually do from a defending point of view. So I think it was one of those ones where he got a little not 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 not, not complacent, but you look at it and you're thinking, well, there's not much for me to do. I'll just keep spraying it out, take a little bit of risk now and then because I know someone's not going to close me down. But if you had him in that exact same situation where you know the Wolves were attacking a little bit more, I think you would have seen him be a bit more switched on. Um, but it is it was a bit frustrating in, in certain aspects because you saw how massive was. Obviously, Matip was a little bit more marauding with the ball at his feet too, so it kind of makes it look like he was doing bro. a lot more effectiveness in the game. Bro, I tweeted this. During the game, Joel Matip is a better carrier of the ball than most Premier League wingers, man. My guy carries it from box to box, wins, yeah, beats two or two to three challenges. is is amazing, and then it's a pass fizz between the lines as well. Like it's it's amazing to have a player like that. Yeah, I think I um, I find that yeah, it was, it's a funny one because obviously, like Chris said, he didn't have much to do, but I just felt like. I'm normally a fan of the way Van Dijk defends. I feel like, obviously, he doesn't want to engage too much. He kind of focuses on his own game. And, obviously, that's just the way he plays. He likes to kind of not engage and stuff like that too much. Um, he likes to, obviously, be surrounded by his other defenders so that he can, obviously, have the best chance to win the ball. But I just felt like he was a bit too lackadaisical. And I felt like he really didn't want to engage with Traore at all. And I feel like you're just kind of, like, any time that like, Traore was kind of dribbling, he really, really didn't want to engage. And I just felt like, it could have encountered in more dangerous situations if obviously Traore is more um, better in his decision making. Um, in terms of like when there was, there was obviously one opportunity when um, I think it was Jimenez, Jimenez was in the corner, and I just felt like Van Dijk could have dealt with it a lot sooner, a lot quicker. But he kind of let Jimenez eat at him, he wins the ball from him, and then luckily Trent recovers. And I just felt like um, obviously, I think it's an effect of Van Dijk not trusting his body as much as he should have. And obviously, this is obviously effects of having a long-term injury and stuff like that. So he obviously doesn't want to test himself against the likes of Traore, Jimenez, as much as obviously you'd want him to. But yeah, um, I don't know. I think it was a kind of a mixed performance. Um, yeah, I think he could have could have been a bit more assertive for me that game and kind of um, dealt with their attacking threats like a bit more assertively, kind of thing. But yeah, he did all right. Speaking of central defenders, the Bolton Baresi is turning up on his natural habitat this evening. Bloody hell, <laughs> playing really well, isn't he? <laughs> Great game. Great game so far. Adding a few M's onto the price tag this January if he does want to move. Um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the birthday boy himself, uh, Mr. Diogo Jota. Um, on the flip side, when we were discussing you know, the calmness and composure of Origi, doesn't have things phasing. Um, he was getting really rattled by the crowd booing him. It was really evident. Um, he wasn't having his best of games. And then that chance comes along Um the chance where we would have been talking about it in a different tone. And I think the players would have been talking about it in a different tone if uh, Origi didn't bail him out there. And I think he knows that himself with the comment he left on uh, Origi's Instagram page too, which was quite funny. <laughs> um, I didn't realise how bad it was until I saw it on the replay on Master Day when I got back. Because um, it looked, it, it was a weird one because it looked like, I was like, surely that's crossed the line. Like, is they're not going to give that as a goal, uh, you know, goal and technology. Then you watched it back on Match of the Day, I was thinking, what on earth have you just done there? I, I, I could not believe my eyes because the simplest thing to do would have been to scrape the Mane and bang, you're in 1-0. But 
he needs to count himself as a very, very lucky boy there. Um, what, 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 what were the thoughts running through your mind? You know, either watching or reading about the game at, at the weekend, and obviously when you see it on match today, what were the thoughts going through your head? Because I know what mine were. The, the guy in front of me was calling him all sorts of names. It's fucking funny. <laughs> I, I, I thought personally it was well. Interestingly, it was a a tale of two performances in the same way we described that Origi deserved a big moment for how he played when he came on. It was almost like Shota didn't deserve the goal for how he played throughout that game. And and I don't want it to be a kind of, you know, this is Jota shouldn't be in the team or anything like that because against Arsenal, everything he did was, was excellent. But this was a bit more of a, a Jota performance that in the Coppen group we talk about a lot where Jota's weight of pass, Jota's touch, Sometimes, sometimes Diogo Jota in build-up is 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 a terrible sight, and um, I think Jota had a game like that all game, and then that just it just all culminated in that last chance where honestly I thought he was just going to roll it, and especially how we dealt. Do you remember how we scored against Arsenal where he sat down one defender, then sat Ramsdale down, and he's so composed. Anything to do with scoring is normally so composed, but this was like mad head loss moment where. He, he didn't trust himself to roll it into a corner, so he just tried to smash it and hope it went in. Man, it, it wasn't a good look, and and after that, I was just swearing and hoping it came off. All he had to do was place it as well. He didn't have to blam it. Literally, we were talking Literally. about Traore, you're going for the blam and every opportunity. Well, let's do just put it in the corner. And it's a goal. Or square it. Both of them were literally standing in the middle of the goal. So either corner would yeah, do it. Yeah, you know I'm saying Cody was hobbling on one leg, even injured from like the first half. And he just manages yeah. to still hit Cody again. It just shows that, obviously, like I said um, at the top of the pod, someone like Origi plays like the calmness of any situation. No situation kind of phases him, but um, you saw that in that moment. Uh, Joe was obviously rattled by um, the fans, but it's interesting because he actually's actually scored against Wolves anyway. He scored against Wolves last time. Obviously, I know there was no fans, but he's already scored against Wolves, yeah. so yeah. I don't know why he let it phase him so much. He really let it get to him. Um, it, it was just... It's just just so odd, especially when you see how kind of composed calm and composed he is. For the vast majority of the time, really, it just made you really kind of question what was what was going on there. It's like, what what what, what are you doing? What were you doing there, brother? What's what, what is going on? Because I, I was I was just I was just looking at it now, like the XG of the chance, the XG of it was point zero point six. So that's, it's a high, that is very, more very, than a penalty. That is more than a penalty. Yeah, it's a it's a very very high volume <laughs> chance. <laughs> Not a penny, is 0.64, I think. So that's more than a yeah. penny. That's mad. The thing is, though, I do completely agree with starting it because when you're playing against someone like Wolves who have done so well defensively, you've got to set yourself up with the most goal threats possible. So, I mean, yeah, it's great that Origi came on and scored, but just because Jota had a bad game didn't mean that there was anything tactically or, or selection-wise wrong with playing it. Yeah, 100%. Is um is is Ox all good by the way? I'm seeing some stuff about him potentially going down. Um, my stream might be behind, but he looks yeah, he looks fine to me. Okay, that's yeah. good. Yeah, he's, an, he's well. another one who's had a another one who's had a really good performance. Again, what we're seeing again, especially this season, something that we massively lacked last year in terms of both trust from the manager in these guys and and the players themselves not you know coming to the party is. The performances, the role players, and it was very much. Again, it's, it's, you guys it's, remember? It's 
In 18, 19, 19, 20, the Shigure gets my United scoring, Origi scoring. Hey, it's coming to, it's coming back. You know, the, the roles <laughs> that Shigure and Origi played when we won the title. Hey, Pete, what are you saying? The, you saying the stars are aligning, yeah? Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying something might be happening. I don't know. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, but I'm just saying something might be happening again. I'm starting to see the same sort of signs, you know? Pete, do you know, you know, do you know what Pete's doing? Pete's doing the someone said it in it, but I agree in it. <laughs> <laughs> not me, but I agree with that person still. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it does look like a team who know what their purpose is, knows what their end goal is and know the journey they have to take uh, is what I will say. And everyone is singing off the same hymn sheet. Seemingly. Chris, this is mad. This is mad poet. This is mad poetic. You know, Chris, keep going. I'm listening. This, this, this is the thing, man. It, 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 this is why it really annoys me. I think it obviously really annoys other people when people are really pessimistic about, about Liverpool. Um, yeah, I'm not going to name names or uh, whatnot, but... <laughs> yeah, me, go me, on, me, carry me, 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 me and you, Mush... Our glory days during that Rafa reign are absolute tripe in comparison to what we're watching now. Would you agree? Bro, the thing is, people don't realise yet, apart from a Wednesday night on ITV, we were fucking <laughs> crap, bro. We were Awful. so shit. We, we, we didn't know we how to beat teams at home. We, we, we were draw at home constantly. We, we were crap, crap, bro. Wigan, we draw to bloody Hull. Hull, we, we would just drop points left, right and centre. To, to, to awful teams. And now you're seeing a Liverpool team that, you know, is consistent within shouts for title. We'd know. We'd know by November if we were in a title shot or not. We'd know. And then we could kind of, you know, like you said, Wednesday nights, the nights to be. We can casually tune in when the game's on Sky and whatnot. Um, but this is why it's so important to appreciate this Liverpool team right now for what they are. And it's a group of absolutely world-class, in, driven world-class individuals with a fantastic manager. And the culture behind it all is just absolutely superb. And we, we have to all be singing off the same hinchy, fan base and players, to kind of get to that common goal and just appreciate what is in front of us in this journey. I think also, just to add to that, the other thing where us as fans living in a different type of world are played brilliant. Um, what, what we probably kind of experience having friends and social circles which have lots of different fan bases around us is we probably hear a lot more praise and, and a lot more we're a bit aware of our competition but i think these players themselves in a good way think they're better than everyone like they literally i am convinced that if you ask liverpool players they don't think there's a single team in the world city included that are better than them and we probably have a lesser mentality than they do completely completely agree you asked the liverpool team we can beat any team on the world. Any team. Peter's on mute, but I'm filling in for him when he realises he's not on mute. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that Salah 100% thinks that we're winning the Premier League, by the way. Like, Salah is 100% convinced. Like, he captions everything. He's just like, yeah, we're winning this. Bro, Bro, his, quotes, his quotes gas me, you know. His quotes <laughs> gas me every week. It's, it's like, every yo. time before we go to work, I read his tweets. I'm like, that diddy meme. I'm like, oh, I'm a savage. I'm a savage. <laughs> Salah's on this mad alpha, alpha male team at the moment, man. It's crazy. Bro, he's dominating the field like crazy. He's asserting dominance left, right, and center on every single team that wants to pull up. It's it's insane. Um, 
enough about Wolves. Enough about what we what, uh, about by that game. Three points gained. Um, it very much. Uh, it's Oxford Chamberlain up front, which is quite interesting. Um, it's very much <laughs> Ram, reminiscent. Front three, yeah, is Nico Williams right wing, Chamberlain full slide, <laughs> and Minamino left wing. I'm, and AC Milan, top leaders of the Serie A, by the way. Leaders of the Serie A. Shameful. Crazy. Listen, crazy, crazy. You know what's crazy? You know what's crazy? That preseason rumour of Oxford's line is finally happening. We're, we're finally seeing it, guys. Fahey, man. He needs yeah. it. <laughs> Marco's praying that Chamberlain scores five in this game or something. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be really bad if you were someone who, if you're an attacker who couldn't get to that front three right now. You'd be sitting there like Wiley, like, no invites. Where's the invites, yeah. bruv? Man, one real. Shakiri's watching at home thinking, I waited so many years and this was my time and I didn't get the chance. He probably, bro, he probably still wouldn't get into the fair, let's be real. Um, <laughs> Certain level of fluidity that is needed. Big game at the weekend yet again. Um, Ooh, Wolves very, mu- very much felt like um, Villa away from our title winning season, and we have Villa at home in our next game. It's the return to the what? It's the return to Anfield in a managerial capacity of one Mr. Stephen Gerrard. Um, Gerrard, who has already vanquished one of his old um, old masters. Uh, in Leicester this past weekend. He comes to Anfield. It's going to be quite an emotional affair for him. Uh, I think it'll be quite emotional for the fans that will be in attendance. We're not actually going to talk about the game itself. We're going to talk about the occasion and playing to the occasion. For me, I'm, I said it before we came on, I'm quite a sentimental person. Uh, I like looking at things from the past and reminiscing and thinking, yeah, that was good, man. And I'll always love Steven Gerrard for everything he did for Liverpool. But for for 120 minutes on Saturday, fuck that guy. He is the why? he is the enemy. Why yeah. 120 minutes? I'm account, I'm accounting for 15 minutes at halftime. <laughs> oh, that's still 105 though. What you're gonna hate him for 15 minutes more for no reason? I gotta get, get myself pumped up, man. Pre workout, I get I get flow in. You know what I mean? Quick job. Man, man's gonna hate him for 15 minutes before the game starts. <laughs> I gotta get myself pumped up, man. Um, I'm seeing the loving. I'm seeing people adopt Aston Villa as their second team. That's all good. That's all well and good, man. You do what you do. Um, you know, more more eyes in the West Midlands, the better for me. And you know what I'm saying. That's where the stocks really go up. That's when I can really start the PR efforts. Um, Chris is thinking property. Chris is thinking property prices, isn't it? You just need the PR. Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking via property Airbnb when people want to come Villa Park, is it? You know what I mean? Think long term. <laughs> Big, work work that's, smarter, not harder. That's the, that's, um, the, that's the Asian in you, brother. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I'm very much on the fuck Gerard for 120 minutes. You're not Steven Gerard, the icon, the guy I grew up idolizing. You're Steven Gerard, the manager. And I've got to find the fine line to separate the two because Liverpool very much do have a title to win this season. I've got no time for sentiments when there's points on the line. And the same will go when we play later on in the year at Villa Park. So I think it's finding the right balance for me. Mush, I know you're a very big advocate um, of the Gerard, Gerard the manager, and what he's doing at Villa. How are you? How are you going to feel this this Saturday when you know, like, like I said, it's going to be a bit. It's going to be an emotional affair. How are you going to feel, kind of watching that, um, watching that game via means, which we won't delve into. Um, I, I think the first thing is. 
obviously I've been participating on this uh, it's Liverpool versus Liverpool this weekend uh, narrative. But <laughs> being being realistic, I could not give a shit about Steven Gerrard's self-esteem going up. What a terrible miss that was. Um, but um, but I think I think the big thing here, man, is li- playing well at Anfield. Steven Gerrard will not say it out loud, but if you ask Steven Gerrard to have it, you can have a good season at Villa, but also lose at Anfield. I think he'd take it silently. He'll never say it out loud, but he will take it because Steven Gerrard is a bigger Liverpool fan than all of us. Obviously. So. Um, yeah, look, I'm going to love it. Seeing it on the sidelines, he's going to love it because the crowd is still going to be chanting his name. I completely agree. It's, it's, it's fuck Aston Villa rather than fuck Gerard, and Gerard is attached to Aston Villa. Yeah. But I, I think... This is the thing, this is the thing though, you know, because you said, you said it there, and I'm like, the, if the crowd start the Steve, Steve Gerard chat, I'm going to be there thinking, what are we doing here? But would you, would you accept it if we're tuning up? This is the sentiment needs to go. I'm not saying would you no. accept it if we're two 0 up? If we're two 0 up, will you accept it? Yeah, because what minute of the game? Let's say we're two 0 up, minute seventy. No, because there's still margin for error then. <laughs> That'd be deep though. If we start chanting, then we draw two. Oliver Watkins <laughs> scores one, and they're thinking, "Oh, for fuck's oh. sake!" <laughs> um, yeah, oh. ninety minutes maybe. Ninety minutes, and it's two 0 maybe. The interesting thing about this game, when I obviously just look at it from um, this kind of point of view, is that Gerard, throughout his career, especially at Rangers and Aston Villa, he's kind of modelled he, all his teams on kind of Klopp, and they kind of play to a similar, very similar way to the way we play. If you look at his team at Rangers; they've done a four-three-three or forty or forty-three-one. They played with their fullbacks high. Taverna was doing his best. James Taverna was doing his best. Rob, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold impression. Barisic as well, plays like Robertson. You have Aribo, Morelos. Like these type of players, Haggy, um, Ryan Kent, they literally, he implements a 43 with a high pressing system. They all rotate. They, he plays the same way as us. So I'm just wondering how he's kind of kind of like um, play us tactically. Obviously, you have people on his team like Michael Bill. Uh, Michael Bill, obviously, he was a coach at um, Liverpool as well. Gary McAllister, yeah. former Liverpool player. So, yeah, I think... He's kind of modelled his game on Klopp and the Liverpool team, so I wonder how he's going to approach it. Because obviously, if he approaches it the same way and tries to kind of come, like come at us and press us and kind of play heavy metal with us, I think it would be too strong for them. So I'm wondering if he's kind of going to change tactically or if he's going to. What I think he might do is that he might try and surprise us with something. So that like, you know that kind of thing where Pep, in these crazy situations, he just tries something <laughs> new. And I feel like Gerard, this kind of occasion this kind of um um game might get to him a little bit and he might kind of try to do something pull something out of the bag because he wants to win the game so much like and he might kind of do a tactical change that he doesn't necessarily what, what do. is the kind of change you think he could do like a two up front like i don't know if ings is back could maybe put like watkins and ings both up front or something like that or play like no wingers or you know what i'm saying so just something like that or like a diamond or maybe something like that or three at the back i don't know but yeah we'll, we'll see but um well, just going on Villa, maybe looking at them, I think, so obviously, since Gerard has come in, they've looked really good. Um, obviously, Watkins, I think Gerard has made kind of more of an effort of him kind of just getting in the box and not using his energy as much, just kind of just run around and needlessly press. Watkins is more kind of focused in the box. And you have him again kind of pushing up closer to the forward line as well. And he's obviously, he's playing the camber 
he's playing Douglas Luiz and they're kind of doing more of the breaking down and McGinn's pushing on. So, yeah, and obviously he's full-backs as well. Um, Target, um, Cash, they're bombing on forward. Like, um, he's Rangers team as well. Like, they used to, full-backs used to bomb on forward as well. So, um, yeah, Villa look quite good at the moment, but I do think we should prove too strong for them. Obviously, you have the likes of Bailey out as well. Most of their wingers, they ain't got any wingers as well. So, yeah, I think they're attacking threat, apart from Watkins. I don't think they have much attacking threat, so we should prove too much for them. Hopefully so, yeah. I mean, it might might be a weird one where like, you see Bertrand Truro play and, and El Ghazi, um, but you, you, know, you kind of know what they're about from, from that wing perspective. So possibly two up front, if Ings is available, might be the way to go. You, you play Jake, do you play Jacob Ramsey on Sunday? Yeah, he played... What, he, he's from yeah, he because he played like five cent of mids. He played Brendia, Ramsey, McGinn, Douglas Louise, Nakamba, and then just Watkins up front. So, yeah, it was a really, really funny formation. Yeah, but, but yeah, Buendia was kind of playing off the left, so he was floating inside. But he was Buendia was essentially one of the three attackers. But no, I think I think a big thing we're talking about with Gerard is that um, what Pete was saying about he's he's trying to mimic Klopp's system is that I think this might be the kind of game where Steven Gerard just comes to learn that whether it's individual player quality or tactics, he's got a way to go and. Out. We might have the same plan, but we're just better at it. But but I will give Steven Gerrard a lot of credit because this isn't just new manager bounce. The players are just running harder. Aston Villa pass the ball quicker. They're more creative. Players yeah. players know players know what they're doing, where they're going with the ball, and there's a lot of similarities and patterns in terms of how they're creating chances. So Steven Gerrard is not just a, a, a class of '92 passion. But coach we're looking at a proper manager here so i'm not saying i'm not going to overhype and say you know he's going to become the best manager ever or whatever but you're looking at a guy who, who really knows what he's doing and, and has a good future as a gamer yeah and i think i think he just brings this fresh perspective for things as well i mean dean smith is is, is by, by all accounts a, a very decent manager um but i think when you're up i think he's what the words i'm trying to say i'm getting tongue tied wait wait for a new who- manager Sorry, Mush, who are no, these? Who are, who are these guys? <laughs> Wait, do you oh, see guys? Let me see. Are we gonna score though? Ox, oh, Ox, man. man. Two youth players with like just fringes, like comb overs, <laughs> just waiting to get there. I was like, who are these guys? But yeah, friend, oh, Connor going. Bradley and Max Voltman. Okay, okay, cool. All right, keep going, Chris. Sorry, no, who? no, I think who. <laughs> I think it's 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 always going to be better for 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 a new manager to kind of come in and, and print well, on on that Villa squad because you know there's so many new players in there they're still kind of fresh and, and open to learning from a new philosophy, so he, he's done a very good job of getting that in such a short period of time where I think Dean Smith kind of really struggled to kind of get that buy-in, um, and you know the whole Grealish thing was levied against him, so I mean that takes a lot of the pressure away from that Villa squad they can operate. Uh, a lot better, really. Um, the way he's using Watkins is, is is fantastic, and how he should be used. Really, it's just that maybe they are kind of. It'll be interesting to see what they do in January. You know, honestly, because you think they're kind of they need one or two, one from an attacking point of view, and maybe another more robust dynamic midfielder uh, to kind of really get them set on their way. But I mean, apart from that, they, it's, it's a good squad to work for. It's a good squad to work with, and a good club to work for, really. I, I think one thing I, I proper rate Steven Gerrard for now. Look, I've been I've been slutting after this content that's been coming out with Sky Sports and Carragher. Oh, and you and Mike have been loving it. It's making me it's making me sick. Making listen, me sick. Listen, it doesn't 
this we're talking about my hero here, yeah. So so I'm gonna yeah, be true. But but I think um a, a, a thing that I really rate about Gerard and what he says is like it's not he whereas Evra has Patrice Eva had some very embarrassing comments this week talking about the DNA and basically just just trying to make what he's done be the most important thing about the club that he you know he's talking about is that Steven Gerrard always talks about the structure around him, the coaches around him, the players around him. Like I think a lot of journalists wanted to make it make it about him and being Royal the Rovers kind of, you know, the hero and you know wearing a cape and all that. But Steven Gerrard always deflects that and he, he talks about like all the variables involved in football. So I think I think we're looking at a guy who probably won't have good enough players to to hopefully be able to beat us on, on Saturday, but someone who understands that modern football is about a lot of factors and he thinks about all of them rather than just run hard and, and you know, passion, basically. Just seen a good, a good tweet from a friend of the pod, uh, Mr. Don Mack, saying that, <laughs> saying that Nat Phillips is better than Bobby Moore ever was. So that was, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting plot twist. Athletic College is now 3-0 up, so they are 100% going through to... Uh, the last 16. They have had Carrasco sent off, which is interesting. Rodrigo de Paul, um, someone who I looked at quite closely last season, uh, coming to the transfer window, has also got on the score sheet as well. Um, that's actually a bit of a positive because someone, an English team who finishes top, is going to draw them and they're going to be an absolute bastard to play over two legs. So enjoy that. That'll be fun for whoever gets them. But yeah, I mean, Saturday's going to be really interesting. It's a weird one that it's a three o'clock kickoff because I thought Sky might have flexed that given the whole narrative around it and how they like to run, you know, really poor, poorly kind of like um, flexed adverts and stuff around these things. You know, they love to do a Super Sunday, um, <laughs> all, that, all that all that kind of crap and spin the narrative around on it. But it will definitely be an interesting game for sure. I'm, I'm very much going to be anti-Gerrard. Um, and if I hear one, you know, Stephen Gerrard chant whilst the game is still, you know, with a, with a margin of doubt, I'm going to be absolutely livid. Um, but after the game is over, I'm very, I'm all for him ripping the number eight off of Nabi Kaiser's shirt. By the way, and taking, I'm saying, I'm taking this back. You've not, you don't deserve this. You've disgraced my number. <laughs> so that's, I'm all for that. But it's, it's all going to be after the final whistle. It, it, it is over. So, so yeah. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I'm, I'm looking forward to. It, it should be a good game. Arsenal Villa, a good team. But I feel like, yeah, I think you're going to find that, Gerald will find that quickly that, um, yeah, I'm saying quality, that you can't replace quality and uh, we obviously got the better players. Um, so, yeah, I think I've, but it should be a good game. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it. Anfield, I'm, I'm never really worried at Anfield, funny enough. Not not with this team, anyway. Not with this yeah, team. Not not this season's team. This season's team. But certain certain pod members are, are still fixated on January 2020. 21 or whatever. So. Some people still say scoring goals is the issue. Um, <laughs> no name. No name. Uh, goals is the issue. Goals is the issue. Um, started doing started doing something uh, on, on the pod now um, called The Final Word. Um, and just as it's come in confirmation that Liverpool have beaten AC Milan 2-1, uh, Mush, I'm going to give you the pleasure of having the final word on today's pod before we sign off. So over to you. Oh wow! Okay. Um, no, I think I think I'll speak to our fellow Liverpool fans, even though I'm sure there's there's haters everywhere listening in as well. I think it's been a fantastic week. This team have showed every dimension possible. They've shown 
the resilience to come and, and win big games which which decide titles. They've shown immense quality in doing that with Pete talking about the Salah touch. We've seen a team right now when our squad depth beating who are supposedly the best team in Italy, one of the best teams in Italy at the moment, and, and, and making easy work of it. I think this team are are hitting form at the right moment, at a moment where some months are good, some months are bad. But the month you want to be good is the month where you're going to have about 10 games because that's probably going to have a bigger effect overall on your season. So we're, we're hitting momentum at the right time and, and everyone should be looking forward to switching on and watching Liverpool play every three days because there's no better place to be right now than that. Couldn't put it better myself. Uh, lovely stuff there from Mush. Lovely stuff from Peter, as always, on Carpe and Fracas. I've been your host, Chris. And if you want to hear a lot more build-up to Liverpool versus Aston Villa this weekend, then do subscribe to the Carpe and Fracas Patreon page. That is www.patreon.com forward slash Carpe and Fracas. Click the link in the bio to this podcast and subscribe from just as little as £3 per month today. Again, that has been your episode of Copper and Fracas for December the 8th, 2021. Go out there and be Divock Arini. Be safe and we will see you next week with more Liverpool-related content. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you soon. Peace. Network.